<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Bob Woodward's book, Rage, just came out, or pieces of it are being leaked, you know, in anticipation of it coming out this week. And he had a series of interviews. I believe he interviewed Trump 17 times. But he had this one interview back in February where he asked about COVID-19. And Trump said two things that I think are fascinating. Number one, he said, you know, this is a deadly disease. It's transmitted through the air. So, you know, Trump acknowledged how bad the disease was. But keep in mind, this was in February. This is when, I mean, our first case was January 20th, both here and in South Korea. South Korea, since then, has had a total of about 300 people die from COVID. We are, have 1,000 people a day dying in America from COVID. We're closing in on 200,000 dead people. South Korea has 300 people dead. Same day diagnosis, January 20th. So in February, a few weeks later, Trump is getting the intelligence. He's getting the information. Of course, he knew all the way back in November that something was going on with a highly contagious disease in China. The U.S. notified Israel of that in November. In December, it became clear what it was. And by January, there was no doubt. I mean, you know, the first day of, I believe it was January 1st, that the Chinese said, okay, here's the disease, here's the genome, here's what we know. You know, somebody make a test quick. And, you know, by mid-January, the Germans, well, the World Health Organization and a German pharmaceutical company were manufacturing test kits and sending them out to over 60 countries. Trump blocked any of those test kits from coming to the United States, continues to, to this day. But they're widely available for the rest of the world. So Trump then tells Bob Woodward, uh, you know, this is a terrible disease. It's, it's a killer. It's, it's uh, airborne. It's going to be real bad. And then he says, but I like to downplay it because I don't want to panic people. Which I think, you know, to Trump, I think he thought he was sounding noble or presidential rather than just, you know, foolish or stupid. But foolish and stupid are words that more commonly describe Donald Trump than others. Nonetheless, you know, our country did respond to the crisis, to the coronavirus as it spread across the United States in March by shutting down. That lasted until April 7th when the news media reported that black people and Hispanic people were more likely to die from this disease than white people, even though white people outnumber black and Hispanic people. And, uh, you know, the, the reasons having to do with 
A couple of things. Number one, black and Hispanic people were more likely to hold frontline jobs where they're exposed to the public and they're exposed to the virus, whereas white people were more likely to hold white-collar jobs where they could work from home and, and be safe, essentially. And then secondly, in the black and Hispanic community, healthcare has never been widely available or as widely available as it is in the white community. It's just, that's that old-fashioned structural racism. So Michael Cohen, this is Cohen's theory, that Trump and Pence are going to work out a Nixon-Ford kind of thing where Trump resigns right after the election. He loses the election. He resigns. And then Mike Pence is president and Mike Pence pardons him because Trump, if he tries to pardon himself, it's entirely possible that the Supreme Court will blow that up and say you can't do that. And... There's small hope that Joe Biden would pardon him the way that Jerry Ford pardoned Richard Nixon. So, although Jerry Ford wasn't elected, probably a better metaphor or analogy would be the way that essentially Bill Clinton pardoned Ronald Reagan for his crimes around Iran-Contra. It wasn't a legal pardon, but it was a functional pardon. He just said, oh, you know, we're not going to prosecute him. And the way that Barack Obama pardoned Dick Cheney and George W. Bush for their war crimes. So it raises an interesting question that I'd like to put to you. If Trump resigned, and if Pence cut a deal with him where basically he said, if you'll go away and promise never to involve yourself in politics, not to continue to inflame uh, racial hatreds and tensions in the United States, not to continue to try to tear this country apart. You know, just go back to running your little real estate empire and you know, taking money from, from billionaire oligarchs and corrupt countries around the world. You'll do that. I'll pardon you. So if Trump went away quietly, would it be worth the pardon to get rid of him. I'm really torn about this. You know, it's like this has to be the kind of the kind of equation that was going through the head of, of Bill Clinton and Barack Obama. And I think that doing that kind of thing doesn't work out well. I'm more in agreement with Eric Swalwell, the congressman from California who's on the House Intelligence Committee and who knows the intel. I mean, he knows what's going on with Trump and these oligarchs in ways that he keeps telling us, you know, I can't tell you this stuff, but it's really bad. And, and, you know, the Republicans are keeping a lid on it. So I think personally that we should have a commission that investigates these presidential crimes, lays them out to the American people, essentially like a grand jury. And then, you know, see how the court of public opinion responds. I think it's going to be overwhelming. I mean, we're just, for example, we're just now learning one of the reasons, probably, you know, the top two reasons, I think, that Donald Trump won in 2016. Uh, The number one top reason, well, the three top reasons. The number one top reason is almost certainly that the American media gave him $2 billion worth of free publicity. Anytime, if he farted, it made news. I mean, whatever he said, it was like, Donald Trump just said this. Uh, it, when he was doing rallies, they would run the rallies live for hours. All the networks, certainly the cable TV networks, MSNBC and CNN, and of course, Fox. So there was that, number one. Number two, you had the, the Russian troll farm you know, basically taking control of Facebook and a chunk of Twitter, promoting anti-Hillary and pro-Trump uh, memes. 
But number three, and I think that these all were like, this was the perfect storm, these three things. The third one was bringing in the evangelical vote, which, you know, traditionally you got to work a little bit for that. But that's not what Trump did. You know, what he did, apparently, you know, from what uh, Michael Cohen is saying in his new book, is Donald Trump blackmailed Jerry Falwell. He had pictures, Michael Cohen had pictures, and Cohen was talking about it. He's still friends with Jerry Falwell, just talk to him today. But Cohen and Trump had pictures of Falwell and, uh, or apparently of his wife and the pool boy or somebody else, but, you know, explicit pictures that they threatened to publicize through Mr. Pecker at the National Enquirer or some other means. They threatened to publicize these pictures if Jerry Falwell wouldn't endorse him. And Jerry Falwell not only endorsed Donald Trump, but went on the campaign trail with him for him. Nobody would have expected that we would pay such a steep price for electing a mentally ill criminal as president. But, you know, there were a few of us who were saying it's going to get real bad. I don't think anybody expected 200,000 Americans would be dead by the time the Trump presidency or the first term of it came to an end. I don't think, you know, most Americans expected that a foreign country would again be allowed to meddle, encouraged to meddle in our elections. I don't think that most Americans realized that by the fourth year of the Trump presidency, as he shut down climate regulations and encouraged the fossil fuel industry to pour more and more and more carbon into the atmosphere, that a dozen states in the West would be on fire before fire season. I mean, the worst of a fire season is like, you know, starts in a week. I mean, we faced four major threats. And I don't think that most of the world thought when Donald Trump was elected president that he would single-handedly start a whole brand new nuclear arms race. But those are the major threats we were facing when he was elected. Climate change, COVID-19, we didn't know about, but it, it would happen on his watch. The Russian election meddling and the worldwide nuclear arms race. And Donald Trump has lied to us about all four of those things. And as a result, today we're facing a fifth crisis which is an economic crisis because he lied to us about this stuff. He lied to us about climate change. He took billions from FEMA to give to unemployed people in Texas. That money ran out today, by the way, the 300 bucks a week that Trump said, oh, we'll, we'll, throw, we'll give you 300 bucks a week if Congress won't do it. Well, it was out of FEMA money and only like five or six states said, okay, we'll do this because everybody knew you burned through FEMA money and here you've got half the country on fire and there's no FEMA money. And the other half of the country is, is being hit by hurricanes and derechos, derecho, whatever they're called. I mean, this is such a new phenomenon, it's hard to pronounce. It's insane. But, you know, he lied to us about climate change and took that money out of FEMA. He lied and said that the forest fires in California originally, this was a year or so ago, that the serious forest fires, now they're all over the West. They're not caused by climate change. That's not climate change. That's a hoax. That's just a hoax made up by the Chinese. That's that's what Donald Trump had to say. Now, really, the reason why the state of California is on fire is because the governor, Governor Newsom, didn't take Donald Trump's wise advice 
and send volunteers out into the forest with rakes to rake up all those pine needles and all that scrub and just, you know, clean the forest. After all, that's what they do in Finland, isn't it? And then the president of Finland comes out and says, I never told him that. But, you know, here we are. Why is he saying this? Obviously, to satisfy his fossil fuel donors, Charles Koch and his buddies, the guys who, uh, you know, made their fortune with oil and coal and natural gas, the frackers and everything else. And now Americans are dying and losing their homes in a dozen western states. We heard from our governor here yesterday in Oregon, Kate Brown, who's doing the best she can. I mean, she's been a really good governor through this crisis. I am so impressed by our governor here in Oregon. And she came out and pointed out that six or seven cities, well, towns, here in Oregon were completely destroyed yesterday in these fires. And they did not have the person power, they didn't have the people to do search and rescue. They've got everybody trying to stop the fires where they are and stop them from going into these towns. And so, she, you know, basically what she said is, you know, get ready. So far, we know that there's two dead people in Oregon, maybe three. But when we get into these towns that have burned to the ground and start looking through the remains of these houses, we're going to find a lot of dead bodies. And by the way, that's not just Oregon. That's happening in Washington State. It's happening in California. It's happening in Utah. It's happening in Colorado. It's happening in Nevada. It is happening all over the West. Number one. Number two, he lied. We have now learned from Bob Woodward about the severity of COVID-19. He knew back in January how deadly this disease was, that it could strike even young children, that it was transmitted through the air and therefore could be stopped by a mask. But instead of issuing a warning, instead of saying, look out, instead of saying, here's what we know about this, instead of putting into place a national mask mandate, Donald Trump lied to us and said, oh, it's just like the flu. And it's a hoax coming out of the Democratic Party. He then spent months lying to his supporters, to his base, packing them into events where he was, you know, at a nice safe distance, but they weren't knowing that some of them were going to end up like Herman Cain, dead. He was repeatedly warned that Russia and other countries were attempting to manipulate our election from activity on Facebook and other news and social media venues, hacking into our election systems. Not only did he lie to Americans about this, but this week we learned that he ordered his illegal toady at DHS, Chad Wolf, who is no longer legally the head of the Department of Homeland Security, but he's still there, to order those people below him at DHS to hide this information about Russian interference in our elections from the American public. And finally, you know, he blithered to Bob Woodward about a top-secret new nuclear weapons program. I mean, once that information was published, like yesterday... A new nuclear arms race just got kicked off. China and Russia, you think they're not building new nukes to respond to our nukes? And this probably has something to do with the several different nuclear-related treaties that Trump walked away from during his presidency that got virtually no attention in the press. And so now the world is at greater risk of nuclear war and a nuclear winter that could drive the human race extinct. And now we've got a fifth crisis. Because of the way he screwed up COVID and the climate crisis, our economy has collapsed more severely than any time since the Republican Great Depression. 
And by the way, the only companies that are being meaningfully bailed out are publicly traded companies, giant corporations. They can draw against the Fed's credit line. Meanwhile, small businesses, medium-sized businesses, and people all across the country are losing their homes, they're losing their life savings, and they're losing their hope. You know, this is the this is the, the doing serious damage to the American dream and American exceptionalism. And if Trump succeeds, it could, this could be the end of democracy all over the world. So the big question now are whether the domestic terrorists Trump has activated will realize that he's been playing them for suckers, or will he successfully reach out to them and ratchet up racially motivated violence? This is the Tom Hartman Program. Is that going to be his big October surprise? Start a civil war. What do you think? Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity. And what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, it's time to commit. 
2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You're listening to Tom Hartman. We're putting together a series of American history books. It started with a hidden history of guns in the Second Amendment. Then we had the hidden history of the Supreme Court, the betrayal of America. Then the hidden history of the Republican war on voting. The hidden history of monopolies, how big business destroyed the American dream. And then next spring, it's going to be the hidden history of oligarchy and tyranny. John in Long Beach, California. Hey, John, what's on your mind? Hey, John, thanks for taking my call. My question is, if the DOJ is going to defend Trump for a civil suit from a woman who is claiming she was raped by Trump, who's paying for that? You and me. And we shouldn't be paying for that. I agree. I agree. I think and, it's and, I think it's and, wrong. I think it's illegal. I think it's inappropriate. It's never happened before. But, you know, wrong, illegal and inappropriate are like, you know, Donald Trump and Bill Barr's middle names. And that's where our representatives have to say stop. No, no. They get yep. away with everything. I've said this to you once before, I believe it needs to stop. And our representatives, Pelosi, whoever has to stand up and say enough. You're not representing him. The taxpayers should not be paying for this. Yeah, I'm with you. But see, they don't have the power to stop that. Congress doesn't have the power to stop that. And they're not going to pass a law to stop it because that would have to get through the Senate and then through the president, you know, through a post-presidential veto or whatever. So, I mean, it is what it is. But what it is more than anything else, John, is more evidence of how corrupt Donald Trump and Bill Barr are. And I think that, you know, it just speaks for itself on that. I share your outrage, John. Thanks a lot for the call. Anita in Wyandotte, Michigan. Hey, Anita, what's up? Hi. Thanks for taking my call. I was wondering why... Trump's getting away with calling these briefings, like coronavirus briefings, but in fact, rallies, mini rallies. Mm. How is he getting away with that? And also, he's coming to Michigan, right? Mm. And I don't want to see what happened last rally where he has like three, 4,000 people, on, you know. Uh, Super spreading theater. event. Yeah. Right. And I can't even go to a movie theater in my state. So. Why isn't nobody saying anything about this? I mean, on Facebook, when I watch, everybody's commenting, how is he getting away with it? Why isn't nobody saying, you can't do this? You know, with regard to the rally in Michigan, I don't know. And it's a reasonable question. In North Carolina, you know, he violated the state's policy. North Carolina, I believe, has a Democratic governor. But I don't think that he was willing to take on Donald Trump. 
And I understand that. I mean, you know, it's like the president of the United States comes to your state. You don't tell him how to do things. But once again, I mean, now, particularly now that the study is out showing that there's more than a quarter million cases of COVID, 19 percent of all the COVID cases in the United States during the month of August came from that Sturgis motorcycle rally where a quarter million bikers showed up in Sturgis, South Dakota. And these, these kind of events are super spreader events. The Sturgis rally was one. We've got dead people coming out of Trump's other rallies. So, you know, it's just uh, Herman Cain, for example. I mean, it's just, it's, it's going to be up to the media to point this out, Anita. I mean, I, in my little corner of the media here, I'm talking about it as often and as much as I can, but the rest of the media needs to pick it up. Anita, thank you for the call. Daily rants and weekly op-eds at HartmanReport.com. It's free and there's no ads. HartmanReport.com. So a half a million children diagnosed with COVID. A half a million. 513,415 children diagnosed with COVID. We've only had this disease floating around for six months, more or less, here in the United States. We have no idea what the long-term consequences will be. There is this phenomena known as long haulers, people who have had, you know, who got COVID and it just basically never went away. And there's a lot of them. And we're starting to see more and more news reports about this. And most of those people who get it and it's a long haul thing are younger people in their 20s, 30s and 40s. And it just hangs on and hangs on and hangs on, and, and uh, it's just ruining their lives. And we, nobody knows. You know, five, ten years from now, are they still going to be disabled, essentially? Is something going to solve? We don't know. And similarly, we don't know its impact on these 513,000 American children who have been diagnosed so far. We do know from a study that was, you know, a, a fairly solid, well-done study, out of the UK, uh, excuse me, out of Germany, that, you know, where they went back and they looked at people in their 40s. Median age was 40, actually. There were people, younger people and older people, but the median age was around 40. These were people who all had COVID symptoms. So they were all diagnosed as a result of symptoms. Only a very small percentage of them were so sick that they required hospitalization or intubation. But they all had, you know, the sore throat or the cough or whatever. And they had all recovered, all of them. And they put them in an MRI machine and looked at their hearts, and they found that 80% of them had what looks like permanent heart damage. And some of these people just had, you know, mild flu kind of symptoms. So what's this going to do to our kids? We don't know. But meanwhile, the vaccine that... AstraZeneca is working on. They're in phase three right now. This is uh, AstraZeneca is the pharmaceutical company. They're doing this in conjunction with the University of Oxford in the United Kingdom. But they're running the tests at dozens of sites, both in the UK and across the United States, where they're giving the vaccine. They're trying to give the vaccine to 30,000 people. And they just paused it two days ago because somebody had a bad side effect. The bad side effect has been reported in the media, but it doesn't get you know, it's not often mentioned. The bad side effect that this one person had, according to the media reports, is called transverse myelitis. 
Myelitis is when the spinal cord becomes inflamed. And of course, the spinal cord is kind of the grand central station for the nervous system. It's how, you know, thoughts and movement and impulses and all kinds of things get transmitted from the brain to the rest of the body and how the body transmits, you know, data, touch, pain, etc., back to the brain. And transverse means that it goes across, you know, sideways across, you know, a slice of the spinal column gets inflamed. And it is characterized Quoting here just from the Wikipedia page on transverse myelitis, characterized by weakness and numbness of the limbs, deficits in sensation and motor skills, dysfunctional urethral and anal sphincter activities. In other words, you apparently lose your ability to control when you're going to go on both sides, number one and number two. And high blood pressure because it deregulates essentially the autonomic nervous system. And it's extremely rare, which increases from some of the press reports I've been seeing the probability that it's actually a side effect of the vaccine. And if that's the case, this vaccine, by the way, that they're working on, we've never, literally never had a successful vaccine for a coronavirus. Never happened. The common cold is a coronavirus. We've been, this has been the holy grail for pharmaceutical companies for 100 years or for 50, 60, you know, as long as there's been a serious vaccine industry, is coming up with a vaccine for the common cold. But you, you just can't do it because the cold virus is constantly mutating, just like flu virus. You know, you get a flu shot and it's got the wrong virus in it, the wrong strain that year, no immunity. So we've never been able to do this for coronavirus. And, you know, I think that we need to be planning for the long haul here as well as hoping for the best. But, you know, what's the old saying? Uh, hope for the best, but plan for the worst. Meanwhile, a study out of China where they're kind of flipped out about the fact that meat and fish being shipped into China have on their surface active coronavirus that apparently got there from meat packers and fish packers in the United States, you know, sneezing on the meat products. And so this study, uh, Jason Gale writing this for Bloomberg News, Coronavirus lingering on chilled salmon may be infectious for more than a week, according to researchers in China. It could survive for eight days at four degrees Celsius. That's roughly the temperature at which the fish are transported. That's 39 degrees Fahrenheit. This is what the report says, and I quote, SARS-CoV-2 contaminated fish from one country can easily be transported to another country within one week, thus serving as one of the sources for international transmission. As of Monday, China had halted imports from 56 companies in 19 countries after employees in China were infected with COVID by having contact with meat or fish products coming from outside the country. I'm curious what this is going to do to the sale of, of frozen or even chilled meat and fish products in the United States. This is downright spooky. And finally, Dr. Zachary Zussman, and I'll get to the Nobel Prize right after the break, and then I'll pick up your phone calls on your thoughts, you know, about pardoning Trump and everything else we've been talking about. Dr. Zachary Zussman is a doctor in Austin, Texas. He went to the company he works for, Physicians Premier, to get a COVID-19 test. They gave him the test, said, you're good, no problem. This is a $175 test. And they charged him $10,984 for the test. He was so pissed off, he quit his job. Welcome You're to America. To the Tom Hartman program. 
We are literally the only country in the world where you get a COVID test and you get billed 10,900 bucks. Back with more of the news of the day in your calls right after this. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is Medical Apartheid, The Dark History of Medical Experimentation on Black Americans from Colonial Times to the Present by Harriet A. Washington. This is from the introduction. On a sylvan stretch of New York's patrician Upper Fifth Avenue, just across from the New York Academy of Medicine, a colossus in marble, august inscriptions, and a bas-relief, cadacious grace, a memorial bordering Central Park. These laurels venerate the surgeon James Marion Sims, M.D., as a selfless benefactor of women. Nor is this the only statuary erected in honor of Dr. Sims. Marble monuments to his skill, benevolence, and humanity guard his native South Carolina State House, its medical school, the Alabama Capitol grounds, and a French hospital. In the mid-19th century, Dr. Sims dedicated his career to the care and cure of women's disorders and opened the nation's first hospital for women in New York City. He attended French royalty, his Grecian visage inspired oil portraits, and in 1875 he was elected president of the American Medical Association. Hospitals still bear his name, including a West African hospital that utilizes the eponymous gynecological instruments that he first invented for surgeries upon black female slaves in the 1840s. But this benevolent image vies with the detached Marion Sims portrayed in Robert Tom's J. Marion Sims Gynecological Surgeon, an oil representation of an experimental surgery upon his powerless slave, Betsy. Sims stands aloof, arms folded, one hand holding a metroscope, the forerunner of the speculum, as he regards the kneeling woman in a coolly evaluative medical gaze. His tie and morning coat contrast with her simple servant's dress, head rag, and bare feet. The painting, commissioned and distributed by the Park Davis Pharmaceutical House more than a century after the surgeries, as one of its uh, History and Medicine in Pictures series, takes telling liberties with the historical facts. Tom portrays Betsy as a fully clothed, calm slave woman who kneels complacently on a small table, hand modestly raised to her breast before a trio of white male physicians. Two other slave women peer around a sheet, apparently hung for modesty's sake, in a childlike display of curiosity. This innocuous tableau could hardly differ more from the gruesome reality in which each surgical scene was a violent struggle between the slaves and physicians, and each woman's body was a bloodied battleground. Each naked, unanesthetized slave woman had to be forcibly restrained by the other physicians through her shrieks of agony as Sims determinedly sliced then sutured her genitalia. The other doctors who could fled when they could bear the horrific screams no longer. It then fell to the women to restrain one another. I wanted to reproduce Tom's painting on the cover of this book or at least in the text but when I asked permission of its copyright holder Pfizer Incorporated the company insisted on reviewing the entire manuscript of this book before making a decision. As an independent scholar, I could not acquiesce to this, and I used another cover image. When I renewed my request to use the image within the text, Pfizer agreed to base its decision upon reading this chapter and an outline of the book. 
The Pfizer executives apparently were uncomfortable with what they read because they refused to grant permission to reproduce this telling image or even respond to my query after I supplied the requested chapter and outline. This act of censorship exemplifies the barriers some choose to erect in order to veil the history of unconscionable medical research with blacks. Betsy's voice has been silenced by history, but as one reads Sims' biographers and his own memoirs, a haughty, self-absorbed researcher emerges, a man who bought black women slaves and addicted them to morphine in order to perform dozens of exquisitely painful, distressingly intimate vaginal surgeries. Not until he had experimented with his surgeries on Betsy and her fellow slaves for years did Sims essay to cure white women. Was Sims a savior? or a sadist. It depends, I suppose, on the color of the women, you ask. Marion Sims epitomizes the two faces, one benign, one malevolent, of American medical research. Quote, of all the forms of inequality, injustice in health is the most shocking and the most inhumane. In 1965, Martin Luther King Jr. spoke those words in Montgomery, Alabama, at the end of the Selma to Montgomery march that had been attended by the black and white physicians of the Medical Committee for Human Rights. King had invited the doctors not only to give medical help to injured marchers, but also to witness the abuse suffered at the hands of segregationists. With these almost unnoticed words, King ushered in a new era in civil rights because, as delegate to Congress Donna Christensen Christian, MD, chair of the Congressional Black Caucus Health Brain Trust, has declared, health disparities are the civil rights issue of the 21st century. Thus, Dr. King's alarm over racial health injustice was prescient, and were he alive today, his concerns would be redoubled. Mounting evidence of the racial health divide confronts us everywhere we look, from doubled black infant death rates to African-American life expectancies that fall years behind whites. Infant mortality of African-Americans is twice that of whites, and black babies born in more racially segregated cities have higher rates of mortality. The book. Medical Apartheid by Harriet A. Washington. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a a good one. In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more, but you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. 
I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. A couple things I wanted to point out to you. Number one, big business in America has basically informed the Republican Party that their top priority is making sure that they essentially force people back to work provide them with a workplace lacking protections against the coronavirus, if this happens, provide them with a workplace lacking protections or negligently expose their customers to coronavirus, there will be no way to hold them legally responsible. Mitch McConnell and the Republican senators are willing, on behalf of America's largest corporations and monopolies, to pass out a trillion taxpayer dollars to unemployed people in exchange for making their corporate donors exempt from very clear laws governing workplace protections and consumer safety. McConnell's gone so far as to say without this multi-trillion dollar big wet kiss to his largest corporate donors, there's not no way even a penny is going to get through him to unemployed Americans. Every day we get another example of how corrupt, sold out, and complicit elected Republicans have become. I mean, this is just mind-boggling. Meanwhile, this is hysterical. The right-wing press, here's the headline. This is uh, an article by Monica Showalter. Trump nominated for Nobel Peace Prize, putting the Nobel Committee on the hot seat. I'll explain to you in just a moment why they're not on the hot seat, but this is what she wrote. The committee may refuse to give him the prize on the grounds that they hate him, all Euro trash hates Trump, and had it instead to some non-entity. But if so, they'll lose credibility given the obvious objective merit of the Trump nomination. Eyes are on them now and eyebrows will be raised if President Trump's contribution doesn't somehow make the cut. Well, here's the thing. The guy who nominated Trump for the Nobel Prize, two things about this. Number one, the deadline for the Nobel Committee nominations was February 1st. Let's see, February, March, April, May, June, July, August. That was seven months ago. So this isn't a real nomination. It's seven months late, number one. And number two, the guy who did it is one of these anti-immigrant right-wing crackpots who happens to have a seat in the Norwegian parliament. He and a buddy of his a year or so ago nominated Trump in 2018, actually, for a Nobel Prize for sucking up to Kim Jong-un. That worked out real well, didn't it? So anyhow, that's what's going on. Just thought you'd want to know. Let's pick up your phone calls here. Russell in Hendersonville, North Carolina. Russell, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom. A little earlier you said that you thought there was three reasons why Donald Trump was elected, and I submit there's a fourth. And that's the reason I almost voted for Donald Trump 
thank God I have some brain cells left in my head. But that reason is nobody's held accountable. Reagan wasn't held accountable. Neither of the Bushes were held accountable. And it just seems like it's the same old, same old, and we're going to possibly have that same thing with Biden. I think that we got to turn Kamala loose on Trump and then clean house with the rest of the Republicans and do as much as we can to try to get the rule of law established again, or the American people are going to just say, you know, there's no reason to do anything. There's no reason for me to follow the law because they don't follow the law. Yeah, I get that. The danger, Russell, and the reason I think why no president has ever wanted to establish the precedent of prosecuting the preceding president is that, you know, there's always judgment calls in gray areas. And some future fascist president, you know, say Tom Cotton gets elected president in 2024, he could use that precedent to then go prosecute Biden and Harris, then even expand it, you know, to Pelosi and to all the other Democrats. And then you're in third world country territory. And so it's got to be done very delicately. It's got to be done right. And it's got to be done in a way that doesn't establish a precedent for a future fascist president. But I'm with you. We need accountability. Absolutely with you, Russell. John in Bowie, Maryland. Hey, John, what's up? Yeah, I'm sorry to disagree with that, but um, I'm going to go right right for the juggler here. We should throw the book at him. I think you have to understand is that, you know, the only way you're going to stop powers from being unchecked is to check them. All right. This This is common sense. Somebody breaks the law, they got to pay. All right? Yeah. All the criminals that he pardoned, all the criminals that he pardoned, and then he wants to say he's a law and order president. I mean, this right. that kind of contradiction leads toward, in my opinion, a crazed country where people can go ahead and do whatever they want to do, and they don't feel any responsibility toward law and order. If that's what he's trying to say. Well, there's also all the criminals I mean, he employed. He, he, too, he's yeah. not following himself. What really bothers me is the fact that there is a real strong sense, in my opinion, genocide when he decided to say, oh, we're going to open up all of these states or, or recommend that you start to open up all these areas. Once he found out that, you know, hey, you know, people of color are going to be more affected by, by the virus. That alone, to me, shows how corrupt and insane it is to even be talking about this. He's got to go. Yeah, and that's the two plus two that the media just generally ignores. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm just saying, in the process of throwing the book at him, rather than simply having the next attorney general say, okay, I'm going to bring charges against you, I think there needs to be a more formal process. So it's viewed as something that's not part, we're not using the normal apparatus of government, that this is a highly abnormal presidency, and we're going to use a process like the 9-11 commission kind of thing, or, or something like that, you know, some sort of a commission process where it's transparent. It's unambiguously bipartisan. There's certainly no shortage of Republicans, I think, who are going to turn their backs on Donald Trump once he no longer has the ability to punish them and doesn't set that bad precedent. But I'm with you, John. I think it's outrageous what this guy has done. I think it's it's insane. I think it's it's criminal. John, thank you. Tom in Jerusalem, Israel. Hey, Tom, what's up? It seems like the tax question is the thing the nuke that will bring Donald Trump down. I really like the fact that Biden, you know, was talking about how he has released all of his tax returns. And it reminds me of my dad. The day the music died 
with Richard Nixon and my dad was when my dad found out that Dick Nixon was guilty of tax fraud. That Hmm. ended everything. And this is your nuke. But if it's not deployed, I'm afraid that this criminal is going to steal this election. It's that. Yeah. And the thing that concerns me on this is. Richie Neal, you know, he is the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee, as I recall. He's literally the only person in the federal government who has the legal right to see Donald Trump's tax returns. And he has not been pushing this and he has not been raising hell about it. But he's also, you know, one of the few Democrats who takes enormous amounts of money from some of the more toxic corporations. And, And he just survived a primary challenge from a good progressive. But I think we really need to be leaning on Richie Neal and saying, hey, you know, you can get Trump's taxes. Do it. (laughs) It's like, you know, you should have been working on this for some time. Yeah. Thank you very much. Okay. Thanks a lot, Tom. Good to hear from you. Clifford in Ishpeming, Michigan. Hey, Clifford, what's up? Well, I received mailers and this one says it's a Catholic voter registration and presidential preference ballot. And it says, Clifford, which side are you on? There's two pictures, one of Trump, Reagan and the Pope. And the other, of course, is uh, Biden and Pelosi and Schumer and that lady who is a uh, Muslim. What they're looking for, you know, they always do this every election, and I never really hear anybody, you know, saying anything too much against it. The Republicans always look for the uh, Catholic vote because that's kind of one of the things, you know, that we are against is we're against abortion. Well, I'm a Democrat. And I don't believe in abortion. But, you know, what do you do with them once they're born? You either better be healthy and wealthy, or if you've got some stuff going on, tough banana. And that's why yeah. Obamacare and this is, or, this is, or will really come into, uh, really come into, uh, it should be restored. Yeah, I'm with you, Clifford. Thank you very much for the call. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. And Clifford's right. There are anti-abortion Catholics, or Democrats, rather. Most of them are Catholics or evangelicals, but those voices should be heard, too. Johnny in Galveston, Texas. Hey, Johnny, what's up? Hey, Tom. With all due respect to Clifford, Catholics are not a monolith. I was raised Roman Catholic, and I am for abortion within reasonable means. I wouldn't Mm -hmm. expect us to perform late-term abortions, but at least to give the woman the option to do it early enough to where she's not pressured. Therefore, you make a more sound and safe decision. Yeah, which by and large is the law right now. And and my point was, a friend of mine is the president of the Democrats for Life. You know, it's it's a national organization. But the couple of Catholics that I know who are personally anti abortion and are Democrats are not out there beating the drums loudly for let's put women in jail for having abortions or doctors for that matter. They're more concerned with what happens with kids after they're. But, you know, anyway, Johnny, you didn't want to talk about abortion. You wanted to talk about Trump getting pardoned. Listen, I've got to agree with John from Maryland. You know, Republicans, historically and in current day, they're constantly demanding the removal and resignation of various Democrats for the minorest of offenses. And don't forget Bill Clinton for extramarital sex. They tried to impeach him, and they got close to removing him from office. So it's a double standard, and we should not cower down to them. We should start saying, hey, if it's good enough for you, it's good enough for us, and we deal with the consequences. That's number one. 
Number two, I think there's at least a 60% chance that Trump will go for a pardon with an agreement with Mike Pence because he knows the last thing he wants, Tom, is to leave office either now or four years from now and face criminal prosecution in prison. So what he'll do is... Well, here's here's the problem, though, Johnny. The real serious threat to him is not a federal imprisonment threat. It's a state of New York imprisonment threat or the city of, of New York City. Well, basically the same thing. You say tomato, I say tomato. No, no, pardons don't help him there. Okay, well, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, he's got, he's got a real challenge. If you're Donald Trump right now and you're looking at Letitia James, the attorney general for the state of New York or a district attorney in New York City, if you're looking at the city of New York or the state of New York prosecuting you on a criminal basis, which is what looks like it's coming down, you know, via a grand jury process, there's no way that Mike Pence can get him out of that. And that's why I think that Donald Trump, A, is going to do everything he can to retain his presidency. But B, if he loses, he's going to have about 10 weeks to try to start a civil war. And I think he's going to try to create so much chaos, so much hatred, so much bloodshed, frankly, that America will say, okay, just go away. We won't prosecute you. We'll get, we'll cut you a break. You know, just, just please don't do this anymore. Don't do any more of this. And I think it would be a bad deal to take, but that's what I sense is coming, Johnny. To redraw, we'll see. I, I propose about 60%. I put it down to 10%. There you go. Okay. All righty. Johnny, thanks a lot for the call. On the science revolution this week, the impact of the pandemic on Trump's refusal to acknowledge science or join the World Health Organization's backed vaccine cooperation pact. It's harming Americans as Trump brings the con into the pandemic. Dr. Bandy Lee is here on the science of hate mongering. Is Donald Trump's hate contagious? Ellie Zupnik drops by about another broken promise on drug pricing from Donald Trump as the August 24th deadline comes and goes. Plus, Kevin Patel is here on the pollution from wildfires. Tune into the Science Revolution wherever fine podcasts are found. Welcome back. Tom Harvin here with you, Brian in Laguna Hills. Hey, Brian, what's up? Hey, Tom. I wanted to ask you, how strong is the state or the various state cases against Trump? I mean, do you know if you would be looking at one to two years in state prison as opposed to like, you know, five or 10 years in federal prison if we support the idea of allowing him to essentially cut a federal deal in exchange for him stepping down. Because the way I see it, as long as he's held accountable, I don't know that it really matters that much whether he's prosecuted federally or on the state level. Do you, do you know how strong the state cases? I guess would be. I don't think any of us. I don't one? think any of us do right now, Brian. If if what Michael Cohen is saying is true that Donald Trump lied to either the banks or the IRS. Lying to either one of those two entities is a major crime, you, you know, be five to 15 year kind of crime, you know, bank fraud or, or tax fraud. 
And if he did both, and according to Michael Cohen, he did both, that could be serious stuff. The tax fraud typically would be a federal charge, although he would have been lying to the state tax authorities and the city of New York tax authorities as well. So they can go after him on the state tax laws, tax fraud laws, and then all the other obvious stuff. My concern, and I mentioned this just a minute ago, and feel free to respond, Brian. My concern is that if Trump loses the election, he's going to have that period from November 4th or whenever the election is called until January 20th, in roughly 10 weeks, to absolutely destroy this country if he thinks that's what it's going to take to keep him out of jail. He's going to have state prosecutors coming after him. And what he's going to have to do is create so much chaos, so much crisis, so much bloodshed shed in the streets. I literally believe this guy is going to try to start an American civil war, an insurrection. And if that happens, then at that point, I think he's hoping that Letitia James and the district attorney for New York City and any other state that's looking into prosecuting him will say, okay, we give up, go away, just back off, you know, stop the killing. And, uh, you know, it may or may not work, but that's that's the kind of dystopia that wakes me up at 3 a.m. What do you think? Yeah, that, that sounds like a very real possibility. I mean, if I were in their position, if I were a state prosecutor, I have a hard time. And it's, and it's so hard when you're in that position because it's like, I forget Nixon's vice president, Sir Agnew, I think is his name. The prosecutors were trying to weigh, it's like, do we let him get away with this? You know, they wanted to get him, it's the same situation. Rachel Maddow did a bit about this called Bagman. I don't know if you caught it, but uh, they wanted him to step down from the yeah, I really liked it. Yeah, they wanted him to step down from the vice presidency, so they made an agreement that they would not prosecute him on these really bad, like federal charges. He was basically accepting bags of money as bribes, and they decided that it was the lesser of two evils to get him away, especially since Nixon was looking at you know being impeached or, or you know being forced out. Exactly. That, that's the decision that they made. I think it's very real. Yeah, that's that's probably. Yeah. And if you're the there. attorney general of New York State and you've had in the last couple of weeks, you know, right wing militia guys come into a couple of dozen, the largely African-American or Hispanic parts of a couple of different cities and kill 30, 40, 50 people in the last couple of weeks. And you're just trying to deal with that. And Trump makes it clear, let's say we're talking like December 10th, but now, right? And Trump makes it clear that he's going to keep encouraging these people to keep killing people if you don't declare that you're not going to prosecute him. You know, yeah, that Spiro Agnew uh, scenario, I think, is entirely possible. So I I think... I think there's a very good chance that where Donald Trump really belongs is in a hospital. I've heard one of your guests, uh, I Mm -hmm. believe it was a psychiatrist, say that he suffers from psychosis. I've suffered from psychosis. I thought that I was like the chosen one. I had this big vision that I was going to save the world. I'm this environmentalist and that I was going to, you know, save the world by, you know, making a movie and blah, blah, blah. And it was going to be the greatest movie of all times. And it was only because I had the help and the support of my family that said, you need help. You know, you're ill. We need to get you, you know, medication. And finally, and I was able to get stable, but I think there's a really good chance that they got, and he's never going to plead insanity, but I, I feel for like where he's at. Like if I were in a situation where I was sick like that and I was given that degree of yeah. unbridled. But here's the difference, you know, Brian. You were not the president of the United States. <laughs> and, and that's yeah, the truly yeah. terrifying thing. Anyway, I got to run here. But Brian, thank you for the call. It's great to hear from you. Uh, Glenn in Streamwood, Illinois. Hey, Glenn, what's up? Yes. My question, I first heard of this COVID-19 coronavirus in March of this year. 
So my question, you were talking about the half a million children, more than half mm-hmm. a million children that had it in their effects in the 20s, 30s, and 40s about their long-term heart problems, the spinal right. cord, the central nervous system. Has this something that has been with us before 2020? I mean, is no. that what you were saying? No, this is a brand new virus. No human being ever had this virus before November of last year. Okay. So, therefore, there's no way to know how the human race is going to respond to it a year, two years, three years. Plus, the virus has already gone through seven or eight major mutations. And, I mean, there was a piece in Science. I, you know, I, I subscribe to Science Magazine, and I get their daily newsletter. And in the newsletter yesterday, they were talking about how there's this one mutation that now has become, like, the major mutation in all the cases in the United States where it changes the little spike protein on the outside of the virus to make it more competent, better at attaching itself to human cells. In other words, making the virus more contagious. So, you know, we don't know how it's going to mutate. The flu mutated in 1918 in a really nasty way. And we just don't know what's going to happen with this one. We've never seen it before. Britain plunges into deep recession with steep job losses and Europe's highest virus death toll. This is the Washington Post. The official numbers were published and they are officially ugly. The British economy has plunged into a record-shattering recession, shrinking by a fifth in the second quarter alone and posting the steepest decline of any group of seven nations. On the line with us is uh, Victoria Jones of the D.C. Radio Group, who is an American citizen but was born in the United Kingdom and keeps careful track. Her Twitter handle is Victoria Jones DC and uh, the DC radio company. Victoria, what's going on in the country of your birth? Oh my goodness. Yes, this story about this huge recession is huge. Twice as bad as the US, 10 times worse than anything seen during the financial crisis. Also deepest recession since records began. So, yeah, no, it's terrible. Well, in the UK, yeah, since records began. So this is worse than the 1930s? Well, I don't know, but these are all the serious newspapers pointed out was that really this all happened based on about two months of really bad performance, not over a long period of time. And even though things have started to come back, the concern is that with reinfection, and with, you know, because masses of people are on furlough, getting government payouts. Well, the furloughs are going to end towards the end of the year. And the Chancellor of the Exchequer is saying, well, you know, everybody's going to have an opportunity. And a lot of these jobs were going to go away anyway. And they're going to furlough a lot of people at the end of October, the government furlough scheme. The shadow chancellor, Annalisa Dodds, that's the Labour chancellor, the opposition, wants income support targeted at sectors of the economy that have not yet reopened and those in specific areas affected by local lockdown, because they're doing local lockdowns now, particularly in the north. But the chancellor of the exchequer, the conservatives, the right wing party, is basically saying, well, it's just going to happen. Tough luck. Victoria, you know, I think most Americans think of the United Kingdom and Europe as essentially the same thing or very, very close. But the fact of the matter is, correct me if I'm wrong on this, 
that all of Europe, including the United Kingdom, through the 50s, 60s, 70s, had a robust social safety net, a strong you know, public sector social safety net that people didn't fall through. Margaret Thatcher came into office in 1978 and began deconstructing that. And Tony Blair continued the process with his neoliberal so-called austerity programs. Now you've got Boris Johnson, who's kind of the Donald Trump of the United Kingdom continuing this tradition of, you know, screw the workers, screw the average person. We don't need no stinking social safety net. We're going to make Great Britain, you know, safe for billionaires, but not the average person. So the situation in Denmark or Germany or France or Spain is radically different in terms of, you know, people being caught by the social safety net than the United Kingdom. Do I have that right? Oh, I think you have it right. I think also there is a sense that, and there will, of course, be an investigation into the government's handling of coronavirus, is that Boris Johnson's government and Boris Johnson himself failed to see the threat from coronavirus until much later than other European countries did not lock down until later. And Boris Johnson himself refused to believe, really, in coronavirus as a serious illness. Well, he had, was wasn't Matt Hancock the Secretary of Health, or whatever that title is over there, wasn't he talking yeah. about herd immunity for the first four or five months of this? Yes! And there were massive deaths in care homes, nursing homes, and also it was spreading from hospitals because of problems, and that's been a big problem. Also, Britain is more reliant on the service sector than the rest of Europe and on travel and tourism. Right. Because you've exported your manufacturing jobs just like we did. You know, Reaganism and Thatcherism are essentially the same thing. Yes, and even what there is has stopped. The plants have been shut down for now. They've been locked down. Yeah. Yeah. What a mess. And Great Britain and the United States seem to be the two developed countries in the world, the most singularly unequipped to deal with it. Victoria Jones of the DC Radio Company. Victoria Jones DC is her Twitter handle. Thank you, Victoria. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 